today on It's Time. The Holy Spirit sends you where He wants you to go. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the Old Testament book of Jonah. So, turn there in your Bible and follow along as we join Pastor Mike. And if you have your Bible today, I'd like to invite you to open them to this most unique book, the book of Jonah. I love this book because it's often been said it's the most New Testament-like Old Testament book. And the reason why is it centers on evangelism, howbeit with a very reluctant servant. The Bible says in chapter 1 that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, telling him to go to Nineveh, that great city, and tell him to repent. Jonah didn't want to go. Now, a couple of things we've already talked about. The word of the Lord. How does it come to us? Is it, was Jonah just a unique guy? And, um, you know, he had some rock that was ringing like a cell phone. He picks it up. Hello, this is God. Got a job for you to do. What was it? I believe that God moves on us in different ways at different times to do his will. Sometimes it might be a phone call calling you to come over and pray with somebody. Sometimes it might see something that's out of place, something that isn't right. Maybe somebody's sitting on a park bench and their face is in their hands and they're, they're weeping. God will speak to all of us at different times in different ways. And he doesn't usually do it the same way every single time because every single circumstance that involves you is a different circumstance. God does not want us to rely on formulas, but upon his inspiration. Big difference. The difference between religion and a relationship. Relationships, you converse. God motivates us. God speaks to us. Go over and pray with that person on that bench. God says, go, go over and see that person that just called you on the phone. God speaks to us different ways. Religion, though, gets rules and regulation, the bullet points. When they call, you say this. When they do, and they got all programmed out. God wants you to be recognizing you got a daddy in heaven that, first of all, loves you very, very much. But the Bible tells us that Jonah didn't want to go. Now, why doesn't, why don't we want to do? Now, people say, well, that was kind of clunky for Jonah. Well, I have found myself the same way. How is it that God will want us to do something and we don't want to do it? I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. Sometimes what God tells us he wants us to do seems to be too overwhelming. God, how would you ever use me in that situation? Such a big job and that there's only just a me. But you got to remember, you and God are a majority in any circumstance. Sometimes we may not want to go because we're lazy. I don't want to go. 
Well, God has to motivate us. And again, I believe this is part of what the Holy Spirit does in our life to motivate us, to cause us to see people the way God sees people. Otherwise, you might just see them as a bunch of people with a lot of needs rather than God saying, I love these people and I want to bless you as you bless them. Every one of us minister to different people. There's people I'll never see that you will minister to And so to equip you the best way that you can do it. Having a sensitive heart. Sometimes the reason we don't want to go is because it's out of inconvenience. Well, I don't want to go because I'll have to change my schedule. Well, I've generally found all the way through the Bible, serving God requires us, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and us as well, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is is in heaven. That means I have to supplant God's purpose in the place of mine. And so understanding this, Jonah rebelled against God. And Jonah got a ship going to Tarshish, used his money to buy a ticket. Bible doesn't even say it was a round trip ticket. It was just a one way. And he goes and he takes off. And as he goes to, to, on his way to this place called Tarshish, probably one of the farthest outmost posted known islands. He's on his way. Sea comes up. It's rocking and rolling. It's, the, the sailors are pitching everything off the boat to lighten it up so it doesn't sink. Jonah's asleep at the wheel down at the bottom of the boat. Captain of the ship comes out and says, arise, O sleeper. What are you doing? You better call upon your God because baby, we're going down. And he goes, no, nah, the whole storm's because of me. Throw me overboard and the seal turned smooth again. Well, they didn't want to do it, but finally they pitched him overboard. The lots fell on him. And the Bible says they threw him overboard and God prepared a fish to swallow him up. Now, again, we talked a little bit about that. There's been at least two instances reported where people have been swallowed by big mammal fish and they live to tell about it. Well, after three days... Jonah, again, a stubborn guy, took him three days in the belly of a fish before he finally said, okay, Lord, uncle, I'll do what you want me to do. God speaks to the fish, ralphs him out on the beach, probably very stinky, probably very green, probably very hairless, and probably really mad too. And he goes to Nineveh, this great Assyrian capital that was the most wicked country in the world. They're just cruel to people. Well, the Bible tells us he enters into town. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you that you would cause us to look at these things, that we would learn from them, and we would then be more willing to be about your business. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, again, when we don't want to do what God wants us to do, It never goes well with us because, again, God puts you on this earth for a divine purpose. Not just to occupy space, but that you would actually be about a Father in Heaven's business who loves you. We have a big lost world. I don't know if you've noticed that. A lot of problems in the world. And you are God's poema. You are God's artwork. You're His handiwork to bring a message to the world of hope. Well, as we look at this, verse 4 of Chapter 3, let's look at this. Jonah began to enter the city of Nineveh, first day's walk. By the way, the Bible tells us that it was three days journey across. 
And he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So when the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, the word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in the ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything and do not let them eat or drink water. In other words, he put the whole nation on a forced fast. But let every man's beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is is in hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so we may not perish? It's interesting that I think everybody that lived in Nineveh knew that they were ripe for something. Something was going to change. Their wickedness continued, continued. Jonah comes through with a message, 40 days, and none of us had it. And the whole city goes, whoa, this is what we've been wanting. Now remember, evangelism, again, that person that calls you on the phone, that person sitting on the park bench with their face in their hands, that, you've got to remember, God's been working in their life. And when God causes you to see the issue Remember, you're just the messenger bringing in the good news that God has already prepared their heart for. See, the city of Nineveh, God, the Holy Spirit's been working on him for a long time. That whole city, even the king, Jonah comes through with a message, and what happens? The whole city repents, immediate. Notice it was citywide. It was also... um, In many ways, uh, the message was extremely clear. The message had a timetable to it. And I, I believe sometimes there is that importance of having a timetable when we share and preach the gospel. And here's why. Because Jesus did that as well. We find that all the way through, there is a time in which the gospel makes sense, that you're alive to hear the message, that you're alive to preach the message. And when these things change... It's over. So when the city heard today was their appointed day of salvation, they responded to it. And I really think that's really important because you never know who you're going to talk to. And I've done that so many times when I've just been sharing with somebody, somebody I meet, and I'll say, well, do you want to accept the Lord? And they go, yeah. I always think they're going to say no. Why? Because I always think it's just me doing it. But no, the Holy Spirit's been working on them maybe for decades to get right with God. So the city repents. Now, I think this is pretty amazing. Three three things you always want to remember about you. The first thing is you're God's messenger. Every one of us that are born again by the Spirit of God, you are God's messenger. You're not saved to set. You're saved to be active. That's the first thing. You are God's messenger. Second of all, know that you're sent. Because the Holy Spirit sends you where he wants you to go. Why? Because you belong to God. You're a child of the King. And because of that, God sends you. So you are a messenger recognized by God to your sent, 
And the third thing that's most important, I pray that's what we do here on Sunday morning, is know your message. Know why you're sent. What message are you bringing them? In other words, we don't want to just... Um, we got a song on the effect right now by Steve Taylor. It's an old song called Life's Too Short for Small Talk. So don't be talking trivia now. I agree that. I, I think that that's really important. We want to make our message clear to those that don't understand. First of all, that they need God. Life is bigger than we are. I don't know if you've noticed that. We're doing good. We're cruising good. Got the top down. Got the air code going. My hair, what's left of it's blowing in the breeze. And I'm having a good time. That's the way a lot of times people think until they don't see the stop sign. And all of life changes immediately. And all of a sudden, life becomes so much bigger than you are that you need help. I've had people say, well, God is just a crutch. As a matter of fact, he's not just a crutch, he's what holds me up. And the truth of the matter is what holds all of us up. And if you think you're going to stand through this life on your own, you're fooling yourself. Because God will arrange it so that something will come into your life that will prove to you that life is bigger than you are and you need God to help. Always know what your message is. Number two, that their life can change. You know, there's nothing greater to offer somebody that's in trouble than hope. Hope is when we say, hey, look, it's not always going to be this way. God's going to do something new in your life. He's going to change you. But first of all, we have to get rid of a problem. What is that problem? It's called sin. Yeah, yeah, I know. We don't like to talk much about that. But sin in the original language simply meant missing the mark. If you were aiming at a target and you shot an arrow and it hit the outer ring, not the bullseye, you sinned. On the other hand, if you shot at the bullseye and it landed in Burley, you still sinned. Sin is sin. You didn't hit the best. That's what God says. I want you to hit the best. Now, as long as we try to aim we're going to miss. God says, let me take over your life. Let me hold your purpose. You'll always hit the bullseye. That way we don't miss anymore. Well, God wants all of us to know the message that we bring to people that there is hope for their lost situation, that life is bigger than they are, that they're a sinner and they need to be saved. But how are we saved then? Well, you know, let's do a lot of incantations. Yeah. You know, any beanie, chili beanie, you know, something like that. Is that how we get right with God? The Bible says we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross. He stood in our place. He took the punishment of what sin does, and he took that on himself. When he died, the debt was paid in full. We're now free if we'll accept it. Isn't that great news? That's hope. Hey, you can live without a lot of things, but you can't live a day without hope. If you don't think things are going to change, things are going to do something, you're going to win that bid on eBay, whatever it might be, you need hope. You need hope for a better life. People in the world don't have that. In fact, many of them are hopeless because they don't have what they know they need in their life. So it says here, verse 10, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. By the way, repentance is always 
necessary for salvation. It always is. Why? You have to cease doing what you want and be about your daddy's business. But really, when you think about it, everything we do ain't going to last anyway. Things done for God are not only going to define who you are because you're a child of the king, but you're going to be rewarded for it throughout all of eternity. It says that God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Amazing. See, God had been working on them all along. He just needed a messenger to go and tell them, you, me, we're the messengers. How great that is. Now, I wish the story stopped here. But it doesn't. In fact, you'll find that many times in the Bible. It would be really cool if the next chapter wasn't there. But notice this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. He became angry that the city repented. The biggest revival recorded in the Bible, first of all. Second of all, it was a Gentile city, and Jews didn't like Gentiles. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. Now notice why it displeased him. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Wow, this is the Old Testament, friends. I've had people say, well, why was God such a God of wrath, fire, and brimstone in the Old Testament? And he was a God of love and all that kind of stuff in the New Testament. Well, God changed. No, God's always the same. Now, the way we approach God, not through the law and the Ten Commandments, but we approach God through Jesus Christ, that's what changed. But notice what he says here. I know that you're gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. God does not enjoy judging people for their sin. That's why he sent Jesus to, the Father sent Jesus to forgive us. But notice, Jonah didn't like that. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Because a city believed his message. Isn't it weird sometimes that the servants of God are sometimes the most squirrely people? (laughs) It doesn't doesn't surprise me. I, I, I look in the mirror sometimes. See, here's the problem. Jonah didn't like Nineveh. Nineveh conquered the 10 northern tribes of Israel, hauled them away captive, relocated them, moved Gentiles into the area of the northern 10 tribes. They intermingled with the few of the left Jews that were still there, and they became what was known as the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. That's all he ever heard. Anyway, they're half-breeds. And so they didn't converse with one another. That's why it was so weird when Jesus went out of his way to meet the woman at the well. She says, how is it that you being a Jew and me being a Samaritan, you ask me for water. We don't speak to one another. Well, that was because they were half-breeds. And here Jonah shares a message with the Gentiles 
and the Gentiles repent. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Now, I like this. Have you ever gotten into an argument with God? I have. You hear God's love and you hear God speaking to you about what you need to do and you don't want to do it. Now, I think this goes back to chapter one of Jonah. Shared this story before, but I worked in a body shop for many years and and uh, we were straightening out a very expensive Porsche bumper. And I hit my hand with a, with a hammer and I, my thumb and I, blood was gut running all over. And I handed the bumper to one of the guys that was working there. And I said, here, hold this. I got to go wash my hands off. Now it was painted. It was nice. We were straightening out the bumper bracket so it would fit. And I turned to go to the bathroom and he drops it on the floor, scratching it all up. Bang, 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 bang. And I turn around and I swore at him. Now, I've been, I had Jesus bumper stickers on my toolbox. God put it all together. You know, I wore my Jesus bumper stickers on my forehead when I'd come into work. Everybody go, oh, here's the Jesus freak. And I'd have my Jesus music playing, you know, on my uh, eight track. Ah, that dates some of you people. Go, What's an eight track? Well, I'll tell you later. One thing about an 8-track, though, if anybody ever remembered that, you never had to really rewind it. It would just keep playing and playing and playing. It would go from track 4 back to track 1, never stop. I don't know how that's relevant to anything, but that's the truth. And so when I cussed at him, it was like the whole shop, you know, it's like when EF bullish talk, people listen. You know, the whole shop got quiet. Mike just said a cuss word. And I went in and I turned the water on and blood's running down the sink and all over my hand and my thumb is, you know, swolled up. And God says, go say you're sorry. And I said, no. I said, people cuss every day in this shop. It's never a hammer. It's a hammer. It's never just a fender. It's a fender. And I said, I say one cuss word and I got to go say I'm sorry. No. Anybody, you ever get in an argument with God? I did. And I had. And I wouldn't do it. And, And so God kept telling me a couple times. And finally I said, I'm not doing it. And I heard this icy silence. And I don't know if you have ever heard that icy silence when you're in rebellion to God, but I had that. And so I wrapped a towel around my hand and I walked back out and I said, hey, uh, John, I'm sorry I I swore at you. I didn't mean to do that. And I did it so everybody in the shop was watching because when I came out and I had the towel around, everybody was staring at me and I walked up to him and I especially did that. And his reaction was absolutely astounding. He goes, "Um, uh, he didn't know how to react. There was more gospel preached in the asking of forgiveness than in all the preaching I ever did to him. You see, because the thing is, is that I I offended him because I said something wrong. And I, I realize that that's what God wants from all of us. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, 
you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.